Thank you very much. So, the rhythm of worship is part of our Breathe In and Breathe Out series. And I'm going to be basing this around Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, a few verses, verses 28 to 31. And the context of this is the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians are trying to trap Jesus with their questions not really realizing, of course, who they're asking questions to is God himself. So, But nevertheless, they are trying to trap him up. And we come to this where one of the teachers of the law has got a question for Jesus. So we'll take up the account in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. That's as far as I want to go. Today, traveling to a conference the other week, week before last, four of us in the car to a conference in Bedford, and we were talking, and somehow the conversation came to, what's your favorite song? So, you know, we were sharing what our favorite songs were, then what, what's your favorite album? So we then began to share what our favorite album was, uh, but what we didn't share was something that I would like to share with you this morning, what my favorite animal is, and here's a picture. And this is a picture of a Siberian tiger. I love tigers. I think I love them because I think they're beautiful. Not only beautiful, but they're dangerous too. I'd love to stroke a tiger. I'd love to hug a tiger. But I'd like to do it without getting mauled to death. A couple of weeks ago, in the early morning prayer meeting in the West End Hall, Thursday morning, during the time of worship, I had a picture It was a picture of an electric power substation, rather like this one. These substations come with a health warning. Danger of death, electricity, keep out. And you sometimes read of children, tragically, whose football has gone into an electrical substation, and they've gone in to get their football, and tragically, they've been electrocuted. Made me think about this power. In the UK, the voltage in your home runs at 230 volts. The substation I showed you earlier can generate up to 400,000 volts. A lightning bolt, on the other hand, can generate up to a billion volts. And about 100 lightning bolts strike somewhere on the earth every second. So if I speak for 30 minutes this morning, there will have been 180,000 lightning strikes somewhere on earth. Wow, the power of that. As I've been thinking about the picture of the substation I had in the prayer meeting, it's reminded me of the awesome God we worship. We sing, who has told every lightning bolt where it should go. We also sing, our God is an awesome God. And I guess in that prayer meeting, I was being made aware again of the one we worship and not to treat him lightly, just as I wouldn't treat hugging a wild tiger lightly or entering an electrical power station 
to retrieve a football, even once signed by Ronaldo and Messi. Against this backdrop of understanding a little of God's awesomeness, I want to look briefly at the rhythm of worship in three areas. Revelation, response, and result. So I want to look first at the area of revelation, worship and revelation. So we are all worshipers in this room in some way or another. You're a worshiper. We're created to worship. One of the things it says in the Bible is that God has put eternity in our hearts. There's something very deep in the human heart that only God can fulfill. But the trouble is, we may not always go to the one who's going to fulfill it. We may worship something else. How would we know if we are? Well, if I become obsessed with something or someone, could even be myself, in order for my emotional, physical, spiritual needs to be met, or if I rely on something temporal for my identity, in other words, something that is not permanent, like my job, my spouse, my money. Now, these things in themselves are not bad, but they may in fact be good, but it's the attitude that we have towards them, the focus that we give them. I can have an unhealthy dependency for those deep needs that I have to be met other than through God. Some people, for example, they're obsessed with work. Now, I realize that there are pressures at work and stresses, and sometimes we're busy at other times, but some people be obsessed with it. It's their life. Others with family. Others with pleasure in its various forms. Others with sport. Others with celebrity. We can look for our sense of meaning, our security, our deep satisfaction, our sense of worth, and all these things. I think in our society today and in the Western world, certainly in the UK, we suffer from the cult of self. We, we can become incredibly self-absorbed. It's all about me, my needs, my wants, my problems, my desires. We can become so self-absorbed, it's unhealthy, it's to be shunned, it promises life, but is incapable of producing it. The Bible calls it idolatry. When we worship something else other than God, we think we're going to find life in these things. We think we're going to have our deep needs met, sometimes just focusing on ourselves, my what I want, in order to fulfill what I feel are my deep needs. It doesn't work. It does not work. Because we were never designed to have our deepest needs met by anything or anyone else other than the Lord. So therefore, we need revelation. We need revelation of something better. In fact, we need revelation of someone better. In order to fulfill what Jesus says in the passage I've just read, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, we need to see repeatedly what God is like. Now, as a young man, 20 years old, some many moons ago, I had a revelation of what God is like. I had a revelation of Jesus. I had a revelation of the love of God. I experienced the love of God for the first time in my life, knowingly. I knew who Jesus was for the first time in my life. I had revelation. But that was a long time ago. I still value and appreciate and stand on that revelation. But I also need ongoing revelation of who God is. All of us here in this room, I would suggest to you that you need ongoing revelation of who God is. Do we think 
that we have come to the end of understanding who God is? Do we think that we've come to the end of appreciating and experiencing his love and his truth? No, of course not. God is far deeper, far wider, far more profound than we can ever grasp. Far more awesome. So we need to repeatedly have a revelation of who God is to draw us into worship. How do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.22, let us draw near to God which is what we're, I trust, doing this morning. Let us draw near to God. And how can we draw near to God? Well, one of the ways in which we can draw near to God and see his greatness and get revelation of who he is is through his word. Through this word here, the Bible. It's full of the greatness of God. And I would encourage you to read it. And some of us are reading through the Bible in a year through the Nicky Gumbel app. And you might think, well, I've missed the boat here. I haven't started. No, you can start today. Download the app and start reading. The Bible gives us revelation of who God is. Let me give you one simple example from Psalm 147, verse 3, where the psalmist says this of God. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's such a tender picture of what God is like. He binds up the brokenhearted He heals the broken heart and binds up their wounds. I wonder, are you broken hearted? Do you feel that you have wounds? Well, God can heal the broken hearted and bind up their wounds. And then in the next verse, it says, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. So it it goes in one short time in the Bible, it goes from he heals the broken, this tender side of God, and then it goes to he determines the number of the stars. We used to sing this song written by Graham Kendrick where Graham wrote, um, hands that flung stars into space, to cruel nails surrendered. And that always made me think as I sang that, and I love the song, did God fling the stars or did he place them? Probably doesn't matter, but I did wonder if I did wonder if he placed them. But what we do know is this. We do know that he numbers the stars and calls them by name. Now, I think I could probably name one or two stars. Sirius is one of them. Um, I know the constellation of Orion. Uh, Betelgeuse is another star. I can name a few. God names all the stars, trillions and trillions of them. So here we have a revelation just in that verse, those two verses of what God is like. We need ongoing revelation of who he is. And we get that through reading his word and drawing near to him in his word. We also need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I have been filled with the Holy Spirit when I first got saved. But I I don't want to just simply live on that experience. I want to be refilled. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We light up buildings and monuments so they can be seen and admired like this one. They're beautiful or important or both. Well, the Holy Spirit comes and he lights Jesus up. He reveals Jesus in his glory. The Holy Spirit inspires us and leads us to worship. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, and John quotes him in chapter 16, verse 14 of his gospel. Talking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, He will glorify me 
because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, I was filled last week. Well, praise God, be filled today. Be open, ask, say, Lord, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. I want to be a worshiper. I want to draw near to you. I want to experience more of who you are and what you're like. Well, the the best person to show you is the Holy Spirit. So let's be those who desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Amen. Another thing that we need to do, and we've been doing that this morning, I trust, and I think this is so important, really very important, is to engage in sung worship. You know, we, just, we're not, we don't just have a band here to have a little bit of jiggery fun. No, no, we want to draw near to the Lord and worship through our singing. Well, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I can't sing. Well, I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter. The Lord is the one who hears. The Lord is the one who uh, loves the vo- sound of your voice. Of course he loves the sound of your voice. He made it. He knows exactly what your voice is like. So please don't use that as a, well, I can't sing. Yes, just croak to the Lord. And he will love it. Because it's beautiful to him. Not only that, but our songs are often so rich in truth. They take our focus off ourselves, which I think is always a good thing, onto him. I love this song. We don't sing it so much now, but I love it. And I always loved it when we sang it. See his love. Nailed onto a cross, perfect and blameless life, given a sacrifice. See him there, all in the name of love, broken yet glorious, all for the sake of us. This is Jesus in his glory. And I, you know, when I sang that, I think this is Jesus. He's on the cross. This is Jesus in his glory. Now, when we see our present queen, who I think is really great, um, Seeing her in her glory, she wears her crown. She's dressed in her ermine-trimmed robe. She's sitting in her golden carriage, pulled by four horses going down the mall as she heads to parliament to open the parliament. That's the queen in her glory. But Jesus in his glory is Jesus hanging there, crucified, saying, why have you forsaken me? And he's doing it for you and me. This is Jesus in his glory. And when we engage in our sung worship, at times we can have that revelation of who God is. And it does us good. Our sung worship together is important and it's powerful. Now please forgive me for the next thing I'm going to say, but I think I, I feel the Lord wants me to say it. You know, I do find it puzzling when I see people regularly strolling in 20 minutes after the worship has begun. I find that strange. I think, I know there could be legitimate reasons and that kind of thing, but I just find it puzzling. Our sung worship is not the icing on the cake, dear friends. It's the cake. It's not the froth on the cappuccino. It's the coffee. So come in on time and be thoroughly blessed and engage. I would encourage each of us not to deny ourselves to get fully involved in that aspect of what we do. As we draw near in faith, we begin to see something of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing as well is when we engage in worship, we don't come to an idol that cannot see. The Bible talks about idols, and it says an idol may have eyes, but it cannot see, may have ears, but it cannot hear. 
may have feet, but it cannot walk. No, no, no. We come to the living God. Psalm 94 verse 9 tells us, does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? We come to the living God. He thinks. He plans. Isn't it remarkable to think that the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, who sends the bolts of lightning to planet Earth, the billion volts, 180,000 in a half an hour as I speak, he comes and he wants to hear your voice. He wants you to draw near. And he's listening out for what you have to say for your worship. He's loving. He's kind. He's sacrificial, and he's fiercely determined, our God. Hallelujah, I'm glad he is. His eyes blaze like fire. He has a passion for seeing your good. He's unstoppable. As we draw near in faith, we begin to see something of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Another thing we see is this. We're in this together. Jesus brings us into his family But now in Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what a privilege, what an honor that we can draw near to the living God. Jesus has made the way for you and me to worship him. Second thing I want to say, so we need ongoing revelation. We need ongoing revelation of who our God is. And we can all have it. The second thing I want to say is about response. Responding in the light of what Jesus has done and who he is. We worship him. We give him honor. Not just in our singing, but as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is saying we worship in view of God's mercy. So it's a response. Our worship is a response to what God has done for us. It's a response to Jesus coming and sacrificing his life. We're not worshiping in order to earn God's favor. We already have God's favor. We have God's favor through what Jesus has done. And our worship is a response to that. We love him because he first loved us. And as we worship we begin to see these truths more clearly and they become more important to us. As we worship, my desires become affected and boy, do they need to be. They need to be changed because by myself, by my own human nature, I am selfish, self-centered. I want what I want. I want to be first. I want to be noticed. I want to be all these things. I want to be the center of attention from time to time. When I come to worship, something happens. My desires become affected. My desires change. I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want, as the Bible puts it, to serve the Lord with gladness. I don't want to be self-centered, always focused on me. And actually, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, you can't be self-focused. You have to focus on that other person. Otherwise, you'll never do it. And I think worship helps us to do that as we respond. I want to be wholeheartedly involved when I worship. It affects me. I don't want to be on the edge of things as I come to worship. Now, there's a road in Paris called the Peripherique. And I've been on the road. And when I was on that road, it's a horrendous road. It it goes around 
inner Paris. goes around the outside of inner Paris, called the peripherique. We use the word periphery. Periphery means being on the edge. Now, I don't like driving on the peripherique, and I certainly wouldn't want to stay on the peripherique. So, but I've been on it. Now, if you are on the peripherique, the thing is, you don't, you don't see the Arc de Triomphe. You can't stand under, stand under the Arc de Triomphe. If you're on the peripherique, you'll never walk down the Champs-Élysées. If you're on the peripherique, you'll never go into the Louvre and see the Mona Lisa. If you're in the peripherique, you'll never go up the Eiffel Tower. If you're on the peripherique, you'll never see Notre Dame Cathedral. If you're on the peripherique, you'll never see Sacre Coeur and stroll around Montmartre and have a coffee and, and an ice cream and see the artists at work because you're on the peripherique. You can be on the peripherique as a Christian. And you'd never see the city of light. Because that's what Paris is called. I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you on the peripherique? Are you on the Christian peripherique? You might, I might say, to you, well, have you been to Paris? Yes, I've been to Paris. Where did you go? I was on the peripherique. <laughs> All right. Did you see the Arctic? No. Go down Champs-Élysées? No. Go to the Louvre? No. Sacré-Cœur? No. Notre-Dame? No. But I was in Paris. But you never saw the city of light. God brings us together. He says, you're a city set on a hill. You're the light to the world. Why stay on the peripherique? Get involved. Get connected. Is that where you are in your faith, I wonder? Can I encourage you? Get off the peripherique. Respond and worship. And and let that worship change you. Change your desires. That stubbornness that we can sometimes have in our heart. No, I'm not going to. No, that resistance. I'm going to stay on the peripherique. Thank you very much. But when we come and worship, worship softens us. That's one of the things it does. Get off the periphery. Get involved. Now, I know that you are a very cultured group of people. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, nods of heads there. Well done. And I know that you're some of you are very educated people. That's correct, isn't it? Very experienced, yes. Many nations represented here. Things that you could teach me, no doubt. Yes, very erudite. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's that group. No, no nods of heads there. But I saw a few nods. Anyway. I wanted today to just set the bar a little higher for you, if that's okay. Give you a little bit of, you know, a bit of more culture so that you can go away today. And if you've heard nothing else, you've got a bit of culture. All right? So here's a bit of culture for you. Now, I've got seven grandchildren. As part of the cultural experience that I've had, I've sat and watched many Fireman Sams. So I thought I'd like to show you a snippet this morning. And uh, the snippet I'm showing you, unfortunately, somehow we couldn't get the English snippet, so we've got the American snippet, but it's the same video. Um, However, in the series, there's a rather naughty boy called Norman. And Norman wears glasses, not that that's connected, but he's a very naughty boy, and he always puts his foot in his mouth. He's always getting into trouble by what he says, and then he does what he says. And he's always having to apologize, dear Norman. Something happens to Norman as they go on this little trip.
There, I told you to give you a bit of culture, didn't I? So Norman's response to what he saw was for him to be silent. Thing is, he gets a bigger picture of something that overwhelms him. And as we worship, this can happen to us too. We see it happening in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah, in the year that Uzziah, King Uzziah dies, says he, he sees the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filling the temple. And Isaiah's undone by that experience. He has a bigger picture. The prophet Ezekiel, standing on the banks of a river, has a vision of the glory of God. And he falls down. He sees a bigger picture. The apostle John in the Revelation, he has a voice and he turns around to see who is speaking to him and he has this vision of Jesus and he falls down at Jesus' feet as though dead. He has a bigger picture. You and I need to have a bigger picture. That's part of the response that we have in our worship to have this bigger picture of what God is like. Now I want to look at some of the results of our worship. Again, going back to the text, where Jesus says of the commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I think one of the results of our worship is so profound, and I've touched on it before, and it's this. It takes the emphasis, just as it did with Norman, it takes the emphasis off ourselves and onto God. It makes us less self-absorbed. It helps us to see the needs of others and to be filled with God's love for them. And as we do that, we'll find that we have a greater sense of fulfillment because that's how Jesus demonstrated to love. So as we come and worship the Lord, one of the results is the focus comes off us onto others and we can fulfill those things that Jesus is saying about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. I think another result of our worship is this. Let me just give you another illustration. In the sport of baseball, rounders to you and me, the pitcher throws the ball at a striker. And the pitcher doesn't want to make it easy for the striker to hit the ball. So what the pitcher does when the pitcher throws the ball is the pitcher, a bit like in cricket really, the, the pitcher spins the ball in order to make it difficult for the striker to hit it. So when the pitcher spins the ball, the ball curves. So the striker gets what's called a curve ball. Now the expression curveball has entered the English language to mean something which is unexpected, surprising, or disruptive. Life throws curveballs at all of us from time to time. I wonder, are you facing a curveball in your life at the moment? And one of the things that worship does for us as we get this bigger picture of the Lord is that we gain a greater sense of confidence in him that we can put the full weight of our life on him because we can't do it on anyone else. But we can put the full weight of everything that we're going through on him. Are you facing a curveball in your life today? If you are, then worship is a way in which we get the sense of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, how much he loves us. And we give him first place in our lives and our perspective changes. And yes, we may be still facing the same grotty situation, but something happens in us to change us. Now, we're doing a discipleship course called Chapter One, and I'm doing it at the moment. And uh, we had a week on worship, and we get this booklet, and there are readings to read every day. And one of the things it said in the readings is this. 
When you get a big vision of who God is, it changes everything. Your perspective shifts. Things you've held in high esteem, things even that you've built your life around suddenly seem small, insignificant, and unworthy in comparison. The thing I want to say is your perspective shifts. When we come and worship the Lord, the situation may not change, but our perspective of it does. Now, in the daily readings that we've been going through in the Bible this uh, year, one of the things that it's said today, and I love this little uh, bit from the Psalms, and I often quote it to myself, and I often quote it to others, is this, my times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. So what are you facing in your life today? When we come and worship, we, we get a greater sense of confidence. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> The kettle can come off. Thank you. (laughs) We might see that later. (laughs) Let's go back a bit. Rewind the tape. Uh, Yes, so we get a great sense of confidence. My times are in your hands. When we come and worship, we get a a greater sense of the truth. You know, that we're loved by God. He's our Father. He loves us. Not only that, the Bible tells us he rejoices over us. He rejoices over you with singing. We're not coming to some dead, stern character. We're coming to our Father God who loves us dearly and deeply. And Jesus said, not only that, he is seeking worshipers. Isn't that amazing to think that this awesome triune God is seeking people to come and worship him? Not because he is insecure, not because he has needs, but because he knows that that's the thing that's going to do us the most good in our lives. When we worship him, our Father God, who loves us so much. So when we come, we benefit from worshiping the Lord. He delights in us. And not only that, we can see more clearly who we are in Christ. We're not strangers. We're family. We're part of God's family now. Hallelujah. We're in this together. Not only that, but Jesus has raised us up into heavenly places. And I'm not sure that I understand what that means even. But it seems to be a fantastic place to be. From someone who was in the pit, God has raised us up to sit sit with Christ. Remarkable, amazing. Worship does us good as we worship in spirit and in truth. We understand more of the truth that sets us free as we walk in it. And I think we see as well that we are not, and I think this is important too, and hard sometimes to swallow. I'm not at the center of the universe. Hey, Ron, you're not at the center of the universe. Oh, really? I thought I was. No, you're not. God is. He's at the center. I showed the substation at the beginning. Now, the kettle. Yes, here we are. Okay, thank you, James. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't like to be struck by a bolt of lightning. But Jesus comes and he mediates the power of God. I can use the kettle. I have access to the power. We have access to the power through what Jesus has done. It's his power. It's his glory. But he mediates that to us so we can be those who can approach God with confidence and worship him. God is seeking you as a worshiper because it's relational. It's amazing that God wants to seek us. Now, a few years ago, as I finally finish, I went to an art exhibition in London of some of the British artist David Hockney's work. The exhibition was called A Bigger Picture. Here's one of them. 
The artist who's standing in front of his canvas painted lots of small canvases and joined them together to get a bigger picture. You might just be able to see a line that goes through the middle, horizontal line. That's not a mistake. It's because it was made up of about 40 different canvases, each one. The point is this, a bigger picture. Have you got a big picture of who God is? Perhaps you have. I'll tell you this, you can have a bigger picture of who he is. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. He's an expert in revealing the bigger picture of who God is. We can get into God's word as well. Read his word in order to get a bigger picture of who he is and to worship him. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's not treat being together and our our worshiping together lightly. Not to think, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter if I come strolling 20 minutes late. Yeah, it does matter. It is important. God wants you to be blessed. That's the whole part of it. Don't stay on the periphery. Because worship is going to continue forever. So let's get in on it. Amen? While we can.